Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute, we're going to review one of our foundational single leg exercises, and that is the K-Box Split Squat. Just like with the squat, guys, make sure you got that tether taunt when you're at full extension, and set yourself a counterbalance. Here we're going to use the barbell on the rack. Sink it down just like a regular split squat, chest tall, and drive through that front foot. I really like that back plate there to take tension off that back toe. As we progress forward, that's going to be big time to help us even keep our weight forward more. As we increase intensity and decrease volume, we're also typically cutting depth, therefore increasing transfer when we're looking at stopping power at a greater height. Guys, give this one a shot. I'm sure that this is one that you're going to find some great carryover for your athletes. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of being able to sit down and discuss the role of neurology in the development of athletes with Sean Light. After a real quick rundown of how he got to where he is today, Sean shares with us some of the disconnects that he sees between what people believe and the realities of high-level athletics. You know, and this is going to run us right down the rabbit hole of why we need to have a better understanding of neurology and how it can improve carryover from training to the competitive exercise and really how changing our mindset from sport performance from the idea of just strength and conditioning can really improve on-field performance. Next, he's going to discuss with us the differences between sports psychology and neurology and why this delineation is important. Then you know, we're going to finish off discussing a few areas where we might be missing the boat a little bit when it comes to sport performance and some simple changes that we could make just to be a little better with our athletes. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Sean, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Sure. Yes, man. I'm stoked for this. I'm fired up to get this done. We've been talking about this a little through the gram, talking about this a little before, but, you know, before we get into this, you know, for the half of a human being out there that doesn't know, who is Sean Light and, and what are you getting into? Man, so Sean Light, Sean Light's a weird weird dude, man. And, uh, you know, my, my background, I have a, I have a degree in, in print journalism, and I believe that that has given me the lens to look through to see this world a little bit differently than most people see it. You know, I didn't have any, any uh, walls to break down to 
to, you know, of some stuff I learned in school or anything like that. I really just got into it and was able to see this world objectively. And, uh, you know, I had the great fortune of working with the Arizona Diamondbacks right out of college and moving on to work for the Los Angeles Lakers after that uh, and working with the literal best athletes on our planet day in and day out. Uh, I saw some stuff that that surprised me. It surprised it surprised, you know, what I believe to exist at that level. Um, Not good, not bad. It was it was just a lot different. And what my mission at this point is to show people how the world of strength and conditioning is missing a really big element. And that's the element of neurology, because we are uh, very focused, you know, everybody's going to have a different focus. But if in general, the industry is focused on, on strengthening a muscle, uh, looking at this body in isolation. And, uh, you know, we're as an industry, we're navigating and tend and trending towards seeing the, the entire body as a whole and holistically, but, uh, the neurology of everything and the neurology of an athlete is what my focus is because, uh, what I saw every single day inside the doors of an NBA weight room was not translating and not reflective of what strength and condition coaches, sport coaches, parents, and kids believe are the ways to get inside of those doors. And I want to show people that uh, there's a disconnect and show you how to how to to do something about it. So let's just dive right in there, man. Let's go ahead first. What what are they? Where are they? How are you you doing? So the big disconnect, honestly, is and the easiest way to put it is that Uh, professional athletes, the best athletes in the world, they do not work as hard as you think that they work. And it's not to say that these guys don't work hard and that they're lazy or anything like that. But what they're doing is they are doing what they need to do. And there's this uh, Twitter line and this, you know, theme that everybody believes is that if you want to get to these levels, you have to work as hard as you possibly can. And quite frankly, uh, everybody who's gotten to that level minus a select few outliers have not really worked all that hard to get there. They're extremely talented. They have put in some work, but they have been blessed with extreme talent. Uh, And what's really working for them on all cylinders is the ability to perform in front of 20,000, 50,000 people because performing a task is one thing. Performing that same exact task in front of 20,000 people is a whole new ball game. And you need to be able to have the neurological wiring and firing patterns to make sure that you can perform that task at that level under that level of external duress. And the, the nature of the beast is that our body works off or specifically our brain works off of memory. And when a particular input comes into our system, whether it be through vision, auditory, smell, touch, whatever, taste, uh, you're, you're, it's going to shoot it up to the brain and it's, it's going to decide what, it, what the output and reaction is going to be uh, based on what it has been in the past. So if I've had a bad experience in front of 20,000 people or in front of 1,000 people, uh, when I get in front of a, a crowd again, it's going to be challenging for me to uh, to do that, and so on and so forth. And, and I don't want to I don't want to just limit it to exposure to large crowds because it can really go in any different direction. But you know, the the big thing for me is I always wonder how many great careers have been blown, have been thrown away due to the fact that neurologically 
they were unable to handle the stress of performance or the stress of a game or the stress of the coach yelling at them, right? Like how many guys do we know are awesome in practice but can't put it together in the game? And I want to be able to fix that because that's a problem. It is a problem because really it's one of the big limiting factors that we have in strength and conditioning, right? Is it that we get all these great evaluations and all these things that we can show these people got better, but then when the lights go on and you're bricking free throws or you're missing layups, you know, or you're missing sitters on the rink, like what's the matter? Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with that, you know, my, I always say that I think my best trait as a strength and conditioning coach is my ability to be objective and see a situation for what it really is. And what it really is, is that we are in charge of performance and sports performance and whatever we need to do to make that happen. And that is specifically with, with our job title, we're focused on the body and we just have to be uh, aware and cognizant of neurology when we're talking about increasing sports performance. And it doesn't have to be uh, understanding the entirety of neurology. We don't need to know everything, but there's a very specific things that you need to know uh, in our field to understand neurology so that you can allow them to uh, be resilient to those stressors. And like you mentioned, those stressors are really real. And the the programs and the workshops and that I'm putting together, they are designed to show you what happens in the body when those inputs come in and what can we do? What exercises can we do inside of the weight room? What muscles can we target creating a program around that in order to build resiliency and oppose all of that stress so that when you are on the free throw line in front of X number of people with however much stress, you are literally using your training, your hamstring, your, uh, the entirety of your abs, your glutes, you are using this this beast, this machine that you have built inside of the weight room to counteract that. And like you said, uh, with neurology being a real limiting factor, I 100% believe that neurology is the primary limiting factor to people's performance. And I mean, I have countless, countless, countless examples of, of seeing that happen over and over and over and over again. And I think that object objectivity to this reality shows us that neurology needs to be understood. Neurology can be understood. And there's something that we can do within the confines of the weight room and the confines of our current scope of practice. It just takes a different adjustment, a new lens to look through and a different perspective on how this whole thing operates. So then devil's advocate for you. What would you then say to people who would say, but isn't that just sports psychology? It is, but it's not because I'm not going to address you in that fashion. I'm not going to sit down and psychoanalyze you. I'm not going to try to peel back the layers and get to the root cause and stuff like that. Like if that's the problem, I need to send you to a sports psychologist. What I'm talking about is saying when you get into a uh, stressed out position, when your body senses and perceives that threat, there are very real changes that happen to your posture, to your CNS, to your system, to your body that can be opposed uh, via your via laser targeted conditioning, laser targeted strength and conditioning work. Um, So what I'm talking about, my intervention is, yeah, there's some definite neurological things and some environmental things that I will control inside of a weight room and with my own personality. However, the real, the the foundation of all this is changing the way we program, changing the way that we structure a lift and changing the exercises 
and specificity of those exercises to uh, bring you that resiliency and those changes under pressure that we want. Well, I love the fact too that this is something that you're you're communicating with us that can be simply modified within our realm too, because I think that you know we're lucky here with these last few shows where it's people talking about different ways of actually connecting to transfer to the the training to the actual performance and building things. So I think that again, another way for us to be able to bring the weight room through the field, so to say, is, is priceless. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I think that is the ultimate, ultimate goal in any time, any, any changes or paradigm shifts that we're going to, we're going to try to put forth is the simple fact that complexity is the enemy of execution. And if I'm going to stand up here and, uh, just berate everybody with, you know, neurological terms and talking about, uh, you know, fMRIs and all these complicated things that really don't fall into our scope. I'm, my my words are useless. I might as well be talking a different language. Uh, so what we really have to do is we have to understand it uh, at such a high level that the execution and the application becomes really simple. And uh, for me and for all of us in our industry, we understand that we have a limited time, right? Uh, Sometimes we have limited buy-in. We have a lot of limited resources, depending on your budgets, your locations, wherever you are. Maybe you can't work individually with somebody. Maybe you have to work in a team setting, right? There's a lot of variables that go into this. But what we have to do is we have to make sure that there is a very simple, executionable uh, program in order to build that neurological resilience to this world that we're working in. So without taking too much away from the course, yeah, where then do you see being the primary area that we might be a little bit off target with in this field right now? I think probably the number one thing is A, paying too much attention to uh, strength gains inside of the weight room, chasing weight room numbers. I feel as though uh, – it is really easy to see those numbers on paper go up and up and up, but not really appreciate the point of diminishing returns. One of the things that I really noticed both in professional baseball and in the NBA was that professional baseball players, there's a lot of dad bods walking around those big league locker rooms. And in the uh, NBA, there's it, I was really surprised at how skinny NBA players were and how not strong uh, they actually were. I remember being in the weight room with, uh, and I won't I won't use his name, but he was bar none one of the all time strongest guys in the NBA. And anytime you would watch him play, they would talk about how strong this guy was and and like the man he just has brute force. And I remember seeing him get on the the for a dumbbell bench press. And he struggled to get like three or four with the 80s, right? And strength and conditioning coaches, we crush that, right? We warm up on 80s. And what I'm trying to show you is that like, yeah, these guys are strong and getting strong is really cool and, and whatnot. But the strongest guy in the NBA can barely do 80s. And when we're talking about the point of diminishing returns, how much strength do you need, right? How like what is Where is the point where – we don't really need that any, any more strength. And what we need to build is efficiency. We need to build good positional awareness, good positional endurance 
I think building positional endurance can make every single strength coach that's listening to this podcast right now an absolute secret weapon to whatever teams that they coach because if you can build that endurance they can be their best all the way through the end of the game all the way through the the length of a season and that's something that nobody's focusing on yeah positional endurance that's a unique term elaborate on that a little bit what do you mean by positional endurance Right. So I'll give you a great story. I went I went to go watch a buddy of mine go play uh, a men's league basketball game and his team was littered with X Division one basketball players, a lot of talent on that team. And they played a bunch of pizza shop looking boys from from down the street. Uh, and they were absolutely waxing them. The, the pizza boys were getting crushed at the end of the first quarter. But as the game wore on, the pizza boys started coming back because there was no endurance in in the in the X division one players. Now, obviously we look at that and just say, yeah, they're just out of shape, whatever. But the reality of what's happening in or with those bodies is that in the beginning of the game, they have good positioning of their ribs over their pelvis, a good pumping piston action of their pelvic and their thoracic diaphragm. They're getting really good action there. And as their abs, their core, their, their obliques and their abs and their hamstrings and their glutes lose tension, they lose the ability to last over a long period of time. They get into that extended position. They lose that ability to pump that. They get in that open scissors, uh, upper cross, lower cross syndrome, whatever, whatever, however you want to term that. Uh, they get into that position and now they can no longer pump properly. Now they're just going through the game uh, on mental toughness. That's the only fuse that they have. But if you can build the aerobic strength of, of, of your obliques, sink right side, left side, and be able to uh, alternate between the two, and you can build that duration over the course of a 40, 48-minute game or however long the game actually is, now you can maintain that position the entire time as opposed to getting to that fourth quarter and and phasing out. Now you're just trying to like brute strength, brute force, brute toughness, get through that, get through that uh, fourth quarter, and now you are in a good position to do that all of the time. And I think too often when we think of conditioning, we're thinking of conditioning as running suicides running sprints you know heart rate monitor blah 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 blah. we're trying to target specific muscles we're trying to give aerobic capacity to specific muscles and, and groups and movements in order to keep you in that position for the entire game i love it the whole part whole when you're talking about taking the small things that are going to have the biggest impact on the entire movement train the little build the big right yeah. And, and, I, and it's just a matter of, again, like looking at the demands of every sport, every individual it doesn't have to be an athlete. What's the demand of an accountant, right? What's the demand of a personal trainer or a strength and conditioning coach as they go throughout their day? What are your demands and what can you do? Where do you need to uh, issue some sort of resilience for some sort, some sort of force, power, endurance uh, into that system in order to make it a, a more, better functioning athlete? Yeah, because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what their their peak numbers are if they can't repeat them at all yeah exactly man I, I think man i'm so glad you said that i i i think classic strength and conditioning revolves around making the athlete really good in the first game and after the first game 
everything starts falling apart because we've gotten great baseline numbers. We've got good, good vertical jump. We got good horizontal lateral agility, whatever, whatever 60s time. If you're a baseball player, like you have these numbers that are really good, but are you able to maintain that over the course of a season? And then in the NBA, imagine, imagine being a strength coach who is given a six foot nine athlete who runs a freakish, uh, sprint time and can jump 45 inches in the air. And then the GM comes down and says, we need to make this guy a whole heck of a lot better. How does that actually happen? Like that's a, that's a real challenge and you need to be able to find your window of opportunity. And for me in that setting, I can't make that guy jump any higher. I can't make his splits any, any faster. What I can do is I can make him better for longer. I can make him be his best for longer. My entire model, my entire Gen Max course, my entire Gen Max model of training revolves around finding a way to make you have your best day every day. That day where you go to the gym and you're deadlifting more than you usually do, you're squatting more, you're feeling so good. How can you actually put the pieces together to have that every single day or at least every single time that you need it? And that's a very real possibility, but you have to be willing to go down to the depths to understand how that whole system works. Because that is really the, the primary challenge for all of us is to. We're doing, that's our job. Yeah. And then bringing that out, especially in a situation, you know, staying in basketball, but, you know, flipping it selfishly to college where you're in tournament settings and you're playing two, three, four days in a yeah. row. You know, that's, um, that's a hard way to, to, it's a hard way to go. Yeah, without a doubt. And and that's, you know, in, in the NBA setting and, and even the baseball setting where you're playing 25 straight days with a game, how do you manage that system? Can like you have to be realistic about it. You have to understand, uh, you know, where you can intervene. Like, do you have enough rest time to get somebody under a bar and, and squat them up and try to get them some some extra strength and professional sports in season? No, not really. Uh, I mean, probably not so much in college either, maybe a little bit easier. Uh, but you know, be realistic about your situation, be objective about your situation. I can't, I cannot emphasize that enough to truly see the world that you live in, understand the demands, understand what you need, and then produce a program based off of that. That's all that I've done here. Well, and, and also too, let's, let's make sure that things are clear that this isn't a load management situation. Right. Right. And, you know, what, the whole load management situation is just a completely separate issue. Load management is simply about dollars. Like we're talking about a team that couldn't care less about playing, you know, the eighth, you know, the 14th best team in the Eastern Conference in the middle of December uh, because they're only concerned about their run in the playoffs because the dollars is that's the and winning is the only thing that matters. Load management really doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to do with with sports medicine, to be honest. Um, this is really about just understanding your world and understanding what you can do to improve it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, <clears throat> piggybacking that if you have built the base and have worked with the athlete for them to be able to perform these performances repeatedly, as in it's not a one-off, this is who they are, then their preparedness level should be higher. So you therefore should not need to load manage. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, in, in the NBA, 
Uh, you know, I, I give this example a lot. One, well, the worst, the worst road trip we ever had in the NBA was that we practiced in LA one day, and then after the practice, we flew to New Orleans. We played the next night in New Orleans, and after the game, we flew to Chicago. Played the next night in Chicago. After the game, we flew to Toronto. We had an off day in Toronto, then played uh, the following night in Toronto. After the game, we flew to Memphis. We played the next night in Memphis, and then after the game, we flew back to LA. So we played four games and five nights with four five different cities uh three different time zones an absolute monster right like this is not easy on anybody and you know however you want to however you want to approach and, and pr produce or provide a solution for this issue that's completely up to you uh but the fact of the matter is that the stress levels uh <clears throat> the cortisol spikes whatever whatever you want to call it uh, are are ridiculous uh during an mba season during an mlb season and you know, uh, the load management versus strength and conditioning here is, you know, as a strength coach, you want to take all the load management days that you can get your hands on because it's going to make the athlete better. It's going to allow them to be more resilient. It's going to allow them to be uh, injured far less. But, you know, of course, understanding the business end of it is, is completely different. But uh, those two categories really there's there's a big difference in what's in what's going on in each. That sounds miserable. That trip. <laughs> you know what, man? It, it was. It was. I remember the last night of it. I was just going up and down the the hotel because I had forgotten. I was going into every key card because I forgot which room I was in, and uh, it it did take even on me. It took a it took a bit of a toll. I was, I was pretty pretty gassed out even on the uh, even on the charter planes. It's it's still not. You know, by the end of the season, that charter plane might as well be a bus. Like it's no. It's no, it's no picnic, but uh, no, you know. and the up and downs are what kill you. Like that's just what drives you out, and it's you know we can get into the sleep and all that because obviously you're not sleeping right, and you got to wake up and get back to sleep and all that. But just the the dehydration aspect that I think people overlook when it comes to that pressure change is really altering. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and, you know, it's just it's just added to the list of of external stressors that we need to be resilient to. And, you know, I, I certainly don't want anybody to come away from this podcast episode thinking that, uh, you know, we got to manage that with more sleep and better nutrition. Like, obviously, we have to do that. But you can also do it inside of the weight room. You can build that resiliency. You can build that with preparation uh, inside of the weight room. You just have to be savvy enough and you know, realistic and objective enough to, uh, see that there's a lot that you can do with things that seem uncontrollable and unmanageable, but you just have to be willing to, uh, you know, pick up a book. Like I'm reading this book right now and it's a little bit out of the box and, uh, it doesn't really necessarily correlate straight up to strength and conditioning, but if you can extrapolate and peel back some layers, it, it, it it relates a lot to strength and conditioning. So, uh, you know, being able to be open-minded and see the bigger picture is a big, big deal. Yeah. And I think too, though, that, you know, when, when people start talking about that, as long as you have the things in your box ticked and they're lined up, then you need to do that because, you know, like if you're only Charlie said this at the seminar, like, I think that once you understand what you're doing and you have a good grasp of the, everything behind it and you're seeing what you need, now it's time to start finding the questions you don't know you have so that you can start getting the answers you didn't know you need. 
100%. I, I, I won't even add anything to that. I like that. Yeah, man. So listen, Sean, where can people find out more about this? Because I think that these things were, you know, again, we've been lucky these last few shows. We've been able to have people on to talk about things that show up when the yeah. lights are on. Yeah. Where, where can they learn more? Where can they see more? Where can they get involved and, and, and wrap their heads around it? Sure. So I, my, my biggest recommendation is I've put all this together in a two-day workshop. That we have one coming up January 11th and 12th in New York City. You can go over to my website, uh, www.4ahps.com, or you can just uh, find me on Instagram, at Slight20. Uh, we, we link everything up through there as well. So, uh, But definitely check that out. There's one in January in New York. There's one in April, I believe, in Houston. And if you have any international folks, there's one being put together right now in Italy uh, among some other locations. So uh, I, I would highly recommend checking that out. I mean, this I think this is really groundbreaking stuff and a big change to this industry. And uh, it's really eye-opening, and it changes the perspective of exactly what uh, – what this industry is all about and what we can really do it. And, and quite frankly, it takes your performance games from fractional for, from, from a fraction and marginal to big and noticeable to people that aren't really paying attention, which is a big deal for strength and conditioning coaches. So for ahps.com, it's called the gen max seminar. Awesome, brother. Awesome. We'll definitely make sure that's in the show notes. So people can check that out. Cause this will come out right around then like a week or so before that one in the, in the city. Sean, I can't thank you enough, man. Keep up the great work, brother. Truly appreciate your time, man, and we'll be in touch real soon. Sounds good, man. Yeah, man. Cheers. And a huge thanks to Sean Light for spending the time with us today. Guys, just some open, honest, candid sharing. And a, and a coach and practitioner who has really been leading from the front and doing the research and diving down you know, this rabbit hole to find better ways for us to communicate and work with our athletes. I can't thank Sean enough for being so open, honest, and candid with his sharing today. And guys, make sure you hop over to 4ahps.com to check out what he's got uh, with those courses and give him a follow on the gram at Slight, S-L-I-G-H-T, 2-0. That's Slight20. Uh, they're putting out some great stuff. Sean, truly appreciate everything you're doing to help us all be better, man. Keep up the great work. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Whatever it may be, as always, we are just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.